You're listening to Unfiltered with James O'Brien, brought to you by Joe. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Unfiltered, a new interview series for joe.co.uk. You can find it in all the usual podcast places as well as on the Joe YouTube channel. I'm James O'Brien and what I'm hoping that we'll do with this is is provide people that you're interested in with a little bit more time and space than they ordinarily get. So do let me know the kind of people you would like to hear me talking to. And of course, if you must, you can also let me know what you think of the conversations that we've already had. So the very first guest that we're having on is Russell Brand, who is a fascinating interviewee, because usually the challenge you face or the fear you have as an interviewer is whether or not people will have enough to say, whether or not you'll be able to tempt them out of their shell. In the case of Russell Brand, you could argue that the opposite is the case. When I told people that, that you were coming in today, what was interesting is how little they knew about what you'd been up to recently. So if we were to go back a few months or, or a couple of years, if you broke wind, it would be on, on, on various front pages, whereas you've actually become a father and you've married for the second time and it, and it, it, it hasn't merited or spawned the kind of coverage that we associate with you normally. How much of that is up to you and how much of that is just the kind of the planet's moving along? I don't know, but I do know that my personal... Uh, life has become my absolute priority, probably for the first time in my life. So possibly there's um, a connection between those two things. Uh, And yet it is, I mean, you talk in, in the book, which you're here to discuss recovery, you talk about becoming disillusioned with, um, with money and fame in the same way that you had done with, with drugs and alcohol. Is that that's linked as well, presumably. So it's, it's a bit chicken and egg. Does the family become the priority after the the lure, the allure of, of fame and, and drugs has paled? Or fame and money, actually, you say, became disillusioned with? Or, 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 or did the family contribute to the disillusionment with fame and money? I have a sense that, um, well, in my personal case, I can give you my opinion Mm. i have a sense that we're all looking for something for me i wanted to feel connected and i wanted to feel grounded and i was continually looking for what i now think as ciphers as ways of fulfilling myself of ways of feeling better and and like pretty obvious monikers such as drug addiction or promiscuity or fame they all seem like quite identifiable external means of making myself better james and um it's almost that they're so seductive in the apothecary of what might work that we call the world that even after you've taken it and it doesn't work, I still keep thinking, no, it must work. It must work. I haven't taken enough. Yeah, maybe a bit more. Just, just to tip a me over. A bit more fame. And there's a point where, like, bamboozled, battered and broken, I have to accept it's just not working, is it? This is just isn't working. And but, so then I become ready to accept new ideas. And, 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 and new, I mean realities really i mean you write incredibly beautifully actually about the moment of birth of your baby but i recognize also that you you absolutely want to keep her out of the the crucible that you spent most of your adult life in yes yes i do um like i suppose like any parent the, the least you can endow your child with is what 
you believe to be true. And what I believe to be true is that nothing in the outside world is going to make you feel meaningfully better. Whilst I wouldn't try to live, you know, This is food. really interesting because I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reimagining of the 12 steps, isn't it? I mean, it's, 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 it's clearly based upon your own experiences with addiction and with Alcoholics Anonymous and similar. But it, you seem to think that all the problems come from within. Is that an addict's thing as opposed to other people's angst, which can often come from without, whether it's Donald Trump, who we mentioned a moment ago, or whether it is worrying about money. You say you still worry about money, which surprised me. You, you, when you talk about fixing something, you think it's inside you and you're trying to help other people who've got problems inside them. But the book might be a confusing read for people who, who are more freaked out by what's beyond their control rather than what is within their control. I think there's an important distinction here, mate. Whilst I think that the problems may well be external, yeah. I think that the pro- the solution to the problem is likely to be internal. Like, And take Donald Trump as an example. I personally am limited in my ability to affect Donald Trump. So I have to look at what my attitude towards Donald Trump is. I have to accept that there's Donald Trump. I have to believe that it's possible to have something better than Donald Trump. I have to ask for help in order to deal with the problem of Donald Trump in my own mind. And were we so disposed, perhaps in reality, but that's not something I would undertake alone. And that's that's not dissimilar to that little prayer about having the the, the serenity to accept the, the things, things you cannot, cannot change, change strength, courage to, to change the things you can and, and wisdom, wisdom to know, to know the, the difference. difference. Isn't it? That's what you just said, really. In a sense, well, actually what I did, um, and but thank you for your alertness, mate. What I did was <laughs> f- the first step is accepting there's a problem. The second step is believing it can improve. The first step is knowing that you are unlikely to meaningfully alter your situation using the means and techniques that got you into that state. So you have to accept help. Now, in some senses, that's from a second perspective mate is likely to be uh through fellowship and community Uh, but there is a spiritual component to the 12 steps and that's one of the reasons that i wanted to interpret them is because i think spirituality and faith are complex ideas in this age and becoming increasingly complex Uh, but i think that it's vital that we develop a different understanding because i think through this idea through spirituality i mean it is one of the few remaining ways we might meaningfully change the world. Why do you want to change the world? What's wrong with the world? The world that's actually been quite... Hold on a minute, mate. Well, you just started your first bloody podcast here on Joe with... Yeah, but, but with uh, Donald Trump, Trump. We might not get out of the room. He's a relatively, <laughs> he's a relatively recent arrival, and you were writing this book, presumably, before Donald Trump got elected or anyone believed he was a serious candidate, because you, you, you have, in many ways, everything... You know, and, and and last time I saw you, you you'd added Hollywood stardom to the to the long list of um, achievements, the sort of CV that that most people your age would would in your line of work would kill for. And yet, and yet, there's this abiding sense that there's something profoundly wrong with everything that you sort of take everywhere with you. Not a prof- I don't. There is an abiding sense that there's something wrong, but not with everything. Okay, it's a sense that. I believe the reason I've written this book is subsequent to writing a book about revolution. Yes. Was that what? <laughs> we'll what, get on to that. <laughs> what I think is that, that consumerism is addiction as a kind, writ large, stimulus response as a raison d'etre, stimulus response as a way of life. That, that when, that, 
Addiction is merely uh, an amplification of what most people are feeling anyway, that if I get these trainers, if I get this podcast on Joe, if I sort my life out, if I earn a few more quid. Yeah, the, the, the likes on social media to drag it down to really small, the yeah. little endorphin kicks, you write about this, the, the, the little kicks you get from approval. Yeah, because it, it does work. We yes. feel it work. You know, of course, like on a primal and biochemical level, we're rewarded for eating food. We're rewarded for having sex. Now, an addict is someone that's unable to moderate those impulses and those responses and gets carried away. So I'm an addict. So it might not be the same for you, James. Sure. It might be different. But like there's a, like a lot of people I talk to say, I feel the way you feel, Russell. I can't get enough. I can't stop it. Now, I think that we live... So this is my belief, and this is sort of, I suppose, the nexus of this book, that on one level I say we are driven by these biochemical impulses. Eat, get status, have sex, be powerful. And then we have a culture that's externally, continually stimulating us and pulling that out of you. Have another one, have another one, have a bit more, have a bit by that car, by that house, by that person, by that book. That's what I think, and I think it's like the worst aspects of our nature are what we have elected to build a culture around instead of the most beautiful. Even the Darwinistic model of well, a human's a bit like a machine. Yes. And, uh, and by competing, um, evolution sculpts the perfect version of a being. That's not what I believe. I believe it's, that's one story, but I believe that cooperation, as people have written very eloquently, another aspect of Darwinism is cooperation. Now, if like the, the model of capitalism, the social model that is dominant in, in in our culture is predicated on the worst aspects of human nature. Now, I find it very hard to live in that world, not because I'm better than it, but because I'm worse than it, because I want so much. I'm so hungry. So you but, fall into every trap that rampant capitalism and greed set. Yeah, I fall in, sort of like I dance into them. <laughs> like I, I make my house well, in that trap. To a spectator sport, some people would, 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 would suggest, although, although, again, not anymore. There uh, have been points, haven't there, James, turning addiction moments. into a spectator sport. So yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and what addicts learn and what I learn from learning more about you in the book is your relationship with you may not have clocked this but most people don't really give much thought to trying to change whether they're happy or unhappy if if you can't point at something that's ruining your life you don't really have I mean a bit changing actually changing your behavior I was trying to teach my little girl to do that have you seen that Dutch reach she's 11 and and she gets out of the car and this morning as she got out of the car I dropped her off at school she nearly knocked a kid off his scooter like literally and you know have you seen this Dutch reach where you, you use your right hand so if you're in the passenger seat you reach to the car like that and it means you're looking there so it's just a change in behavior and everyone in holland does that and no one in holland gets killed as they cycle past the car because the passenger door has just been opened by someone who's not looking out so i was thinking and oddly it, it chimed with some of the stuff i read how many times do you have to do that before it becomes second nature an addict is in recovery or a recovering recovered addict is is in many ways the the, the poster boy or girl for actually and actively changing your behavior but it never becomes second nature does it to say no. So it, it, it's always a struggle. Well, James, it's, it's, you know, the difference between behaviour and nature is probably a significant one. Yes. We can learn a different behaviour, but whether or not we can learn a different nature is uh, contestable. Now, I would say that the step one is this is a problem. And you might be right. A lot of people probably, and I'm fascinated that you say that, that a lot of people yeah. don't tackle the idea of change. The reason I do that is because pain is a motivator. Desire is a motivator. When I think of our culture, it's com 
continually blasting you with fear and desire. You're not good enough. You don't look right. You should be better looking. You, if you buy this car, if you buy this phone, if you buy this trainer. So you're constantly stimulated into action. The reason that I've had to, like, the reason I've been fortunate to d- enough to discover this program is because my problems were initially chronic. Heroin addiction and crack addiction is the equivalent of swinging a car door open into a cyclist. Someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. So people have stepped in. I had to admit there was a problem. Then the second step, is it possible to change? Yeah, I suppose it's possible to not take heroin every day because I saw other people that didn't. And then three, are you going to stop on your own? Through trial and error, I discovered that I was not able to. But if I accepted help, it was possible. Now, I think this can be replicated. And I think it's interesting, but also deeply saddening what yes. you say that most people don't think change is possible. They probably don't think about it. I mean, you think about this stuff... On, a, on an almost addictive level, don't you? The idea that there are there are little keys you can find that will unlock almost the mysteries of existence. And, and I, I mean, the people who have a tendency to do that aren't all addicts. The, no, it's just, this is perhaps something you and I have in common. Go on. The narrative of the quest, yeah. the idea that it is possible to be better, that your life, that there's... I mean, even if you look at it from a quite a materialistic and rationalistic perspective, what was that force that made a single cellular creature become mm. a bicellular creature, become a reptile, become a mammal, become man? What is this forward momentum? What is this energy acting in time that seems to be propelling us somewhere uh, where material intersects and weds to consciousness itself? What is it trying to do? Now, the very nature of an inter- interrogative inquiry, why does there have to be a why? You yeah. know, one you could put a full stop in it there. But I sense that human beings can do something different. I don't have a cynical worldview. I don't uh. think, oh, you automatically end up with Donald Trump. I see Donald Trump as a transitional moment. I see Brexit as a transitional moment. Like, please God, we are both fathers sat here today. And like, please God, that that the future generations can have a different worldview, that they will not be steeped in cynicism, sceptical and questioning they may be. But they too might think, no, a human being can be a beautiful thing. We can answer to different voices. We can inquire differently. And the more time I spend, and the reason I was late and I apologise, because I was at a young person's thing called The Mix, yeah. and it's a, like a helpline thing for kids. They can talk anonymously, young people and stuff. And you get a sense that they have more tolerance, openness, awakeness and alertness to things that you and I have to sort of be taught. I had to be trained like, no, mate, just don't trouble people about gender and identity politics. Just accept it. All right, I get it now. I get it intellectually. They seem to intuit it in the same way that they can operate iPads. And they're utterly unfazed by the stuff that that the Daily Mail are having having kittens about when it comes to boys wearing dresses or whether it comes to sexuality or whatever it may be. The, the, The kids in the classrooms are utterly unspooked by it or when does it when does it shift when does the switch get flicked by society do you think possibly this is to do with normative values possibly we were taught what do you mean you'll want to wear a dress i mean when i think about it if i like people who god knows what i'd have been like if no one had told me no this you're growing up in essex in in the 70s and 80s this is what a man is oh no (laughs) oh i better strap up and and put on a a happy face and find a way to make sense you mentioned that masculinity is a big uh, Robert Webb's written a book as a, a lad called Chris Hemmings who's written a very good book as well and you, you were kind of ahead, ahead of the curve on that you were quite androgynous before it was cool yes I was wasn't I <laughs> I mean although we do have glam rock <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I guess that's a form of, of sort of macho androgynousness it's, it's just interesting how did you growing macho up in Essex in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of 
in the environment you describe. And again, you know, we're, we're familiar with some of the stories like when your dad took you to Thailand and, and booked two prostitutes for himself and one for you. How did you, in many ways, it's not surprising you ended up in so much personal turmoil, but how did you end up resisting the... The macho stereotypes, resisting. I mean, I know you shagged around a lot. I but, don't think that I felt it was feel available. The need to prove yourself to other men. I did feel the need, but I don't think I felt that I had the facility. You know, I don't. I didn't feel. Did, were in... you ever a fighter? No, I don't. Like it's not something that comes easy to me. While I'm quite aggressive and an assertive person in many respects, I didn't ever feel really confident around that. And that's still something like that. You know, in my sort of limited understanding of Jungian analysis, those things go into the shadow. It's there somewhere in me. And so now, now that I'm older, my priorities have changed. I'm very, very interested in Brazil, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that stuff, and I do sort of martial arts things See. the same as I'm interested in dance to take ownership of that. Whereas in the past, I would I tried to glorify, like only a Smiths fan could, the idea of being a sort of a broken and warped hero. Yeah. And like, oh, I have this. And I think... It's quite uh, a 19th century, actually, isn't Do you think, it? is it, Yeah, mate? that 19th century romantic kind of opium... Sort of Byronic yeah, or Thomas, Thomas de Quincey, de Quincey John up. Keats, that kind of thing. Yeah, I like all that romanticism very Byronic much. would be the obvious one. Yes, yes, yes. But apparently he was a good swimmer. <laughs> <laughs> um, the The... the the fatherhood thing then returns again because I only want to talk about you as a father. I don't want to talk about your little girl because I completely respect that she's she's not in the game and, and probably never will be. But you said something fascinating. You said, I've never... Um, other people, other people when they become dads, uh, they say, I never knew such love was in me. But you say that you always knew you had this love in you. I found that fascinating. Did you? Yeah. Well, I just, I think possibly when I talk about this uh, protein drive that possibly cellular matter may yeah. have been endowed with, the drive to go forward, I have always felt, and you ask why, Russell, why are you not satisfied? Why are you yeah. trying to move forward? And I say, and, and I think that there's a corollary between that and this sense of love. Like, I knew that there is some yearning, that there is some essence, there is something not being revealed, and that I want to move towards it. I want to connect to it. So... For me, my appetites and drives around promiscuity or shagging, as you said, uh, and uh, like, you know, the consumption of drugs and the wanting to be famous and wanting to be adored. I'd like all of this. I felt it's it's a quest. It's pulling. I'm eating. I want to eat something. I want to devour to connect. And so when she was born, I felt, ah. Oh, it wasn't, there was an exhalation it, because it's like, because so, like, if I tell you why, James, it was so, it's so odd to feel such carnality and divinity in the same space to sense this is the flesh, this yeah. is screaming, this is blood, this is not like, oh, hello, you know, but on the other <laughs> hand, I can feel this is transcendent. The fabric of time is tearing as, yeah. as sure as uh, the flesh is. You know, something real is happening here. So it felt like a connection happened. I almost felt like it was like some sort of chromosomic shift some DNA alteration. I bet you could see it on a graph if you had the right instruments. Something went... It became a new... But most people are terrified. It, by everything you've just described, I recognise, but I found it terrifying. I thought, I'm not worthy, I'm going to bugger this up, I'm, I'm not going to... And yet you felt almost a sense of arriving. I still feel... You know, you know, I'll take your not worthy and I'll raise you worthlessness. You know, like I feel those things pretty regularly. I sure. am not Thieves. good enough. Yeah, yeah. You know, continually, yeah, continually. And and I would argue, and this book argues that that's because a vital component of being human has been neglected mm. so that we can 
be cast in new roles as passive consumers instead of active civilians in building... To nurture ourselves. Nurturing ourselves and nurturing our culture and recognising that our individualism is temporary and what we are primarily is communal, that the barriers that exist between us only present on a sensory level, that beyond the senses there is a oneness. There is a oneness and it can only be intuited because it's beyond material rationalism and there are limits to where materialistic rationalism can take you. And when something as transcendent and as powerful as the birth of your child happens... It, it smashes does. you in the face with the reality yes. that you were not presented with primarily. Do you want more? Yeah, oh yeah, man, I'm at it. <laughs> like I just want, like, like, I want to fill the house with them, flood the world, hang those that speak of less, just a, an endless army of voices parroting back at me. And now that I know that, you know, it's not like, it's beyond self, isn't it? Because you sort of think, yeah, oh, they'll be yeah. a bit like me. But who is that staring at you from in there? Yeah. Well, what is it that they are saying? These, I mean, she's so different and unusual and willful and powerful. I mean, it's weird. Is it the first time you've ever considered another human being to be more important? than you yes and like you know like although i knew it intellectually now i know it know it you know like when you know stuff in your guts and in fact this is what the past few years has been about for me james o'brien it's about (laughs) stuff that had been in my intellect traveling down to my guts knowing it in the body knowing it in the body knowing stuff in the mind is mm, it's only so useful really so visceral would be the word visceral is the precisely the word and and, and that's a kind of it's an enhanced living. It's being more alive, feeling things more than... than I think it's recognising that there's only so much you can do with the intellect and and with outward things. And that's difficult, I think, perhaps... I don't know what it's like to be you, but I know you're really clever. Thank you. So I imagine that it's prohibitive to encounter things that happen on a kind of sensual, feminine, fluid, intuitive level that's not how we build our culture and how we build our worlds. But you you almost contradict yourself there because the the, the quest, the interrogative quest you referred to, is built upon a belief that that everything admits a solution and yet the 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 kind of feelings based or the or the 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 biological base that you've just described is kind of like the idea that that transcends an intellectual solution. So you can never find the answer because Quite right that that's possibly contradictory. But but like, you know, but we must permit paradox to be in the room. You know, contradiction and enlightenment, these two ideas are continually discussed because that is where rationalism leaves the room. That yes. is where dualism leaves the room. That's you know, these philosophical terms and ideas have long been challenged. So yeah, I don't know what the bloody answer is. You know, I I know what it isn't. Uh, well, you begin to, to to formulate answers in the book. Kurt Vonnegut was asked once, wasn't he, about what he thought the, uh, the 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 religion he considered superior to any other was, and he said Alcoholics Anonymous. You, you, wow, did he? Yeah, you should be. I mean, surprised that someone else said it, but unsurprised that it has been said. Oh yeah, and it's Kurt Vonnegut. That's yeah. pretty cool. Well. There's a lot of things in those 12-step fellowships which tradition mean, uh, tradition binds me not to say whether or not I personally belong to, although it's pretty obvious reading this book. That's what the anonymous bit means. Right, exactly. And it's not just <laughs> to protect you in case the bank manager finds out you're a lush. Oh, it's, it's also so that no one can go, hello, I'm the prophet saint of these things. Those yes. things are their own thing. They're bigger and more powerful than any individual could be. In fact, that's that, their raison d'etre, their purpose is to be bigger than the individual. 
But what's embedded in them, I have found, is a simple route to a different way of looking at the world. That's why Kurt Vonnegut is saying that, because it's recognising that the group identity can be more powerful than the individual identity in a non-aggressive, loving and nurturing way. This is not some new patriotism. And this is what you get from meetings and from the community... I think that when you connect with people on the level of vulnerability instead yeah. of their, like, I'm very aware that, you know, like, I like this Joe organisation. Like, yeah. I read their funny stuff about football. We're a good bunch. Right, yeah, and I like the, the most of the people I'm meeting out there are Irish people. That always makes but, me but feel... But it's also, to, to be serious... No, but I'm I saying I am serious, being serious. But it's not, it's not the toxicity of laddishness. That seems to me to be part of the... Is it? Well, yeah. that's what I think is required. Yeah. Because otherwise, male identity is going to be continue to be challenged. And there are many, many good things about male and masculinity and in this time of gender politics that could easily be lost yes. but I think all of us as modern men or as you and I God knows where we are on our journey to no. middle age <laughs> we have to find a way of being male in a way that is acceptable to ourselves and acceptable to other people so the reason that I'm like uh, happy to be here talking about this kind of thing is it's seems to me that we need new ways of talking about identity new ways of talking about groups that aren't sort of built around swashbuckling insouciance and you know like i'm very aware that is i still get asked a lot about women and that kind of thing and for me now those are things that i it's not like i'm ashamed of but i don't like the commodification of other people is not a good thing for me whether it's like appealing to men to like me appealing to women to find me attractive i don't want to be governed by using people like that and, and collecting collecting coins tokens yeah, Conquests. yeah, that endless need. But, I mean, when you were in your kind of in your pomp uh, of promiscuity, w- w- did you treat people badly? Inadvertently, yeah. yes, I did, because I don't think that there's a way of having a sort of a perspective of people as a sort of things that can make you feel better that's positive. Fortunately, I am a gentle person. Fortunately, I am a romantic person. Fortunately, I am based not on domination, but on sort of yearning. (laughs) Yearning is what drives me. A need to be loved, a need to be adored, a need to be connected. Having said that, I am, when in my addiction, selfish. And I don't think you can be selfish and not cause other people harm almost by definition sure and 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 is is fidelity going to play a part in your life now fidelity in all senses is important because what i think fidelity means is stay connected to the signal stay on track and for me that track is moment to moment are you being kind are you being truthful and like you know and when inevitably you are not because and this is what this book is about Mm. it's not about it's about recognizing those imperfections how quickly can you get back on track how quickly can you become faithful uh, once again so yeah absolutely in terms of obviously in terms of a a committed marital relationship but also as a father also as a comedian also as a person that wants to change the world and is looking and trying to understand how best to do that moment to moment you you hold other people in quite high regard in a, in, a, in a theoretical sense you do i don't know you well enough to know whether you do it in in a practical sense as well you have an idealized vision of what everybody is capable of which is i suppose slightly built upon the belief of what you could be capable of given the kind narcissistic of narcissistic compassion it's not that's, that's a new one that's not bad though is it it's, but you, do you know what i mean i mean do people let you down because you, you talk an awful lot about 
I hear what's coming out of you. I don't see much coming into you. Do people let you down much in life? You, you've been lucky to to be helped out of the doldrums by strong personalities, both in your professional and your personal life. But have you been let down much in life? I suppose we... I have, yeah, yeah. I think so, James. I, su- I suppose I must have been. I suppose, in a way, much of this attempt to build a personality to compose myself is because you know like familiarly I may have felt uh you know like as I say the older I get the less bad my childhood is okay you know the less I'm inclined to go because now I think about it now if I met a a bloke from Dagenham and a woman from Ilford Mm. that were in their late 20s I won't go right you two you look after me (laughs) and my psyche (laughs) but that's what (laughs) that's that's, that's the way the cards were dealt (laughs) Yeah, that's the way it worked out. And now I recognise what a great man Ron Brand is and what a lovely woman Barbara Brand is. When did that happen? You know, like bloody too late, (laughs) really. But roughly when? I mean, did. did, I reckon getting into recovery five years in, like, you know, like obviously I love them and I'm around them, but I was quite blaming and like, oh, I should have been looked after better. Why was I not stewarded to greatness more efficiently? Why weren't I in grain chill? (laughs) 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 Those kind of things. Uh, But like, so, but like, I feel like, yeah, of course we're sort of let down, but like, but by forgiveness, you're very, very important. No one, I I think I've been bloody lucky because seeing one of the things is that, I'm fortunate in is I get to spend time with a lot of serious drug addicts, people with serious mental health problems. And I, like I hear stories that make your jaw drop. Mm. You know, you hear sort of a, like stories from urban working class people and you think, oh, well, it can't get any worse than this. And then someone from bloody some Eastern block country comes in and tells you what their deal was. And it's mm. like, oh, did someone come in and they were shooting and my, I see my brother killed? And you're like, mm. bloody hell. Yes. How much, you know, so, so if it's, if you sort of base your identity on like, oh God, I had a tough life, then, you know, get in line, you know, so, so now what I, and you can never win. You can't win the four Yorkshiremen war. <laughs> we had, of course, we had it tough. You know, like it's yeah, it's tough to be a human being. We're going to die, so we better find a way of transcending that idea. And I think heroism itself, the idea of whether it's Christ on the cross or someone talking someone or someone throwing themselves in front of a bus for someone else, is in that moment. That person knows. They know. They really know that the self is not the most important thing in the world. That there is something transcendent of it. C.S. Lewis, when he writes about Christianity in the book Mere Christianity says Mm. there is some internal governance it's not that we're trying to appeal to an acculturated well that was nice of me to be brave something in you knows when you've been mean or selfish or when you've ripped someone off and it tells you in your belly you shouldn't have done that that wasn't fair and I've had that voice and that feeling many many times and now I want to listen to it I want to be a good person and in the past and in the present I am driven by ego when I'm like you know do a thing like the truths and it's Ed Miliband and there's lots of showing off and people are saying you know which yeah. way will the election go and Russell Brand's going to have a role in it. Of course, I'm all puffed up and grandiose about that. But also, I do want to help. I do want to do something worthwhile. Now, what I'm trying to do now is move closer to the part of me that's about goodness and service. I, I, and, I mean, it's a, it's a perforated line, though, isn't it? Because mm. you, you can do goodness and service while also... Uh, feeding your lust for glory, as you describe it in the book. I mean, that, that in many ways is the ultimate... Yeah, that was the original title of Life of Brian, was Jesus Christ's lust for glory. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ's lust for Jesus glory. It's better than Life of Brian. Almost, <laughs> isn't it? But, but, but that, where, where's the... Again, I mean, I'm interested in where you think the edge is. So at what point, let me get the quote right, at some point the delicate balance between good intentions and my lust for glory must have tipped because I found myself in direct conflict with media barons and world leaders <laughs> the way that a fly 
might find itself in direct conflict with a rolled up newspaper. <laughs> so where, where does good. it flip? Where does I mean, because you couldn't do what you do unless you had the, what, what my mum calls the look at me gene for, oh, for good or for ill. That's oh, what it is. Not all kids have it. You do. You know, my, you my do. mum's excited. <laughs> so, your mum. But if you don't, if you don't, Mrs. O'Brien's not troubling me with it, James. No, you're right. So that Russell got, Brand is young James. There, there's the look mom, at me. Mum, I'm clever. <laughs> look at me. Look at me. Look at me. There's the look I've at me. Gene. Made Nigel Farage look silly, mum. <laughs> Haven't I, mum? It's unbelievable. This. <laughs> it's a boot on the other foot, but 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 you know what I mean. You've got the look at me, Jean, and and presumably you're pleased that you've got it because it, it's a huge part of who you are and what you've done and what you've achieved, and it gives you the. Plan platform to, to 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 formulate these what do you call it the grandiosity the i forget but anyway these very big ambitions and these very big ideas but when you write that it must have tipped that delicate balance between good intentions and lust for glory where does it tip it where, tips what tips in me when yeah. i'm i lose my connection see again i can put this i won't go i'll stay to you want me to mate so you, because i work my program i practice what i preach i'll put you first and joe first and my commitment <laughs> and my honor before my own Let's needs say to you were looking at, look the at, the at clock, that baby man, people won't realize what was going Oh, yeah, we got a glance at the clock. No, which is something that James is surely used to in the company he keeps. Exactly this. Exactly oh, no, 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 Boris. Come on, do it. Oh, oh, no, James. Oh, come on. question, Brown. The, 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 the tip, when you feel it, do you feel it tipping? Do you think when you were doing the politics stuff, and you, I think it's brave to change your mind in public, to go from saying don't vote to mm. saying I was wrong, do vote. But but when you talk, do you feel it inside yourself where you think, shit, I've overshot on this one or, or, or I've crossed into this delicate balance between good intentions and lust for glory. Look, I can tell you what I think, but I can also tell you what this programme yes, says. And this, what this programme says is probably a bit better, right? It says like that the whole point of this programme is to get yourself to perspective where you feel that inner sense of connection, that fidelity that you mentioned, right? Have you right? reached that place? I reach it sometimes so how often? and I lose it. I'm in it now. Now yeah. I feel like faithful. I made the decision, no, don't go early. Stay sure. with James O'Brien. It's his first podcast on Joe. Be Do the right thing, right? So that's an example of me doing it. But in the past, I'm like, no, fuck fuck it, man, I'm going. Yeah. Like, I've got my life, I've got my baby at home, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like now, so, yeah. so it can be for me, I can, like in a way, it's instead of justifying what you want to do, because you can, ju- I've justified doing some pretty terrible things in my life. Sure. You know, like, but like now, I don't, I try not to do that. I try to spot the fork in the road, you know? So what this program teaches you is recognise you've got a problem, come to believe it's better, ask for help, and then there's some process of inventorying and really getting an understanding. But it's, a, it's, a, it's a book, you fill in pages. It's yeah, not, it's, it's like excellent. Yeah. Anyone can there. do it, and any, won't realize everybody that until they should know that it's actually a system. This is not like bloody cosmic ordering. Write a thing down <laughs> under your pillow. Oh, hopefully the universe will look after you. The universe doesn't care. <laughs> you know, like, but what, what this is is a way of changing yourself. So it's getting to yourself to a point of connection, and once you reach that point of connection, trying to maintain it with the faith that that point of connection will help you to make good decisions. Old Russell would not have been able to step outside of his selfishness. That's all right. That's one of his problems. Now, the, the other thing, so, so referring back to the sort of the dabbling in politics, which, you know, yes. who knows how where that will take us. Like, you know, like what, what happened there is, I think, is I got a bit puffed up on one side because I love a bit of attention. The look at me, Gene, sort of kicked in. Uh, and then... When I was a bit tired, because it was a lot of pressure, because like, I was realising that I was voicing a lot of stuff and I was in a really high-profile position... But I wasn't backed by a team of like politicians and uh, like uh, what they call them, a parachiques and yeah. those, those people yeah. that politicians have. Like it was just me and my mate Gareth, you yeah. know, like who was like doing the truth. 
So I was getting knackered. Yeah. And I think that when you're... T- like, the way this pro- I understand this program is the most newly acquired abilities are the first to go when you're challenged. So when you get a bit hungry or a bit angry or a bit lonely or a bit tired, the things that start to erode are the most newly acquired things. So I think I kicked, I ran, I flipped out of my altruism fuel tank and kicked back into the ego like a hybrid car at the traffic lights. I kicked back into, well, what is it I do when I feel confronted and challenged? I've always got my ego. Yeah. He'll be there for me. Like a suit of armour. Yeah, because isn't that what the ego does for all of us? It's the persona that we've built for ourselves to protect ourselves from the world to protect ourselves from the feeling that we're not good enough i've built this version of myself that's got me this job on the radio that's got me this podcast now whatever it is that you're doing it's working for you so that thing kicked in for me um it was an interesting time because i think so like and the other mistake i make as a solipsist and a narcissist is i sometimes mistake Do you really think you're a narcissist no i don't because i really care about other people yeah, and i really I try and listen i'll give you solipsist <laughs> You're you're alone in a tunnel with your own mind. (laughs) But narcissist, you do seem quite sweet. Well, that's I'll I'll take that. Thanks, Jane. Um, You know, like the the um, what was I on about? Because that was quite funny what you said. And I've uh, when you when you feel the narcissism kicking in, the solipsism kicking in, it's it's where you go when when you're tired, when when things are mounting up around you, and and you Mm. sort of want to go with the with what's familiar, and what's familiar is the the big personality on the stage, the look at me. Yeah, I can Uh, rely on that. That's relatively robust. So, like, I suppose that there was a moment in that. But oh yeah, no, this is what it was. I mistook taking the temperature of a nation for sort of being the furnace. Of a nation, really. So you really were on a bit of a psychodrama when this I think happened. it's very easily done. And I also, mean, the way you were being written about and talked about was, was as if you were the, some sort of po- political messiah. Well, is it odd though? Because this is what, like, uh, this the problem is with <laughs> it's me for glory. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, imagine, like, if you have a messiah complex, and then other people start telling you that you might be the messiah. Yes. Then that's a, a very dangerous bit of alchemy. Which was the show before revolution was the messiah cult. The show, the last show was the messiah cult. Yeah, yeah. One back. I'm yeah. doing. Like Rebirth is the show that I'm doing now, yes. uh, my stand-up. But like, but like it's because these are complex ideas. I believe that within or each of us is the potential for self-realization. I think that's kind of what it says in the Bible. Also, your Buddhist days as well. That doesn't. It? A, a I mean, I think in a way they're all saying the same thing. The are. way to heaven is yeah. through I, not through me. Through I, through self, you can reach enlightenment. If you can go past your belief that you are some sort of conglomeration of flesh and drives, if you can get behind that, if you can observe your thoughts and observe your feelings, there is heaven, there is paradise, that is the afterlife. Then you have transcended, you are no longer caught up in the business of your life. You are looking at your life, you are looking at your thoughts, you're recognising that your thoughts are the first layer of the material world. You have transcended unto heaven I, i'm following that yeah but, but, <laughs> but we're on joe and but, it's a new podcast what, and we're getting into deep theology what about the bloke in dagenham who likes you oh hello and, mate and, and listens to this you mentioned mm. dagenham and ilford yourself you're mm. kind of roots as it were and and, and listens to this stuff yes. first you when you're telling jokes, jokes. Things, but, but but he's thinking he, he's mostly thinking what a load of bollocks oh, no. but there's a little bit of him that's thinking how do you? I mean, with the with the facility with language and the and the, and the purple prose and and the, and the breakthrough writing. How do you touch him? How do you touch the the, the bloke who 
whether he's an autodidact, as you mostly are or not, he, it, there's something there. And, it's through and, truth, isn't it, James? Don't you think? It? Isn't it through, like, yeah. like, because don't you now, being the age that we are, Ish. it's like you meet people and you like start to see that their personality is just an inflection. I meet people that have been really well-educated and been to great schools and I meet people that can, you know, sort of like self-educate. Yeah. No, you understand it. Yeah. You know, you're not an idiot. Look, yeah. what I'm saying but is... But that's not everybody, is it? You're, you're talking about clever people. No, I think you can... Look, look, there is a certain facility for language and, uh, like, intelligence. The, the uh, definition of intelligence that I think is most useful for me is the ability to spot patterns. Someone that's intelligent yeah. will spot a pattern. Like, hmm, yeah. that's how you're talking. Oh, that's what you're saying. You've said that yeah. before. Ability to spot patterns. So, but, like, well, again, when I'm connecting to people that are, you know, not educated or, like, you know, judgments about intelligence, I think that there's only... There are so many different types of intelligence. You know, people, like... I wouldn't presume that you know like from Dagenham whether it's uh, like Dear Departed Dudley or Terry Venables or yeah. whichever ones of Dagenham's sons you know like that you I think that how do you reach people you say look are you happy how do you feel in the world do you believe it's possible for the world to change well I'm telling you I think it is possible for the world to change and the people that are telling you the world can't change are the people that don't want it to because it's working well for them like this is how it changes get yourself as close to power as possible you should be controlling your workplaces you should be controlling your own emotional life if there's something you don't like about yourself it is possible to change it you think you're eating too much let's get you can get help with that you think you're looking at porn too much you can get help with that and that's you, it then is that's it that's with where, anything. We, where we almost started the belief that you can change it's the first thing you have to believe if you're gonna if you're gonna do you know what tom Waits said i know you like the kurt vonnegut quote you'll love this all the big questions come up when you get sober god yeah, they do, because now you've taken away the anaesthetic. That's what I experienced. First of all, once you take away, like, whatever it is you're using to hold your life together, whether it's drugs or sex or yeah. some unhealthy relationship, you take that thing away, and, yeah, your man Tom Waits is right. What happens then is you're like, okay, who am I? What's well, going on? That is, that is the journey that you're on. What, what uh, Last question. Um, when, when did you first sit back and think, I'm all right now? Well... Uh, you know, look, it, it undulates, mate. No, I, know. <laughs> like, I, know, I mean, but, sort of, but, sometimes but, of I think course. I'm not all right. <laughs> I know, but, but, but when you thought, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly winning now. It's a lot to do with being married to Laura. Is a it? lot of it, yeah. I feel like, oh, thank God, this woman. Thank God, this person. She's not interested in any of this flim-flam. She won't listen to this. No. She won't listen. She's not like she's not like she don't care in some sort of negligent way. She don't care in that she just thinks I'm some sort of sweet, all right, funny bloke. All right, Russell. Yeah. You know, it's just normal. And like so, it's odd these mundane things to be a father because I had to become the person that a father needs to be. So that means I can't be selfish. I can't be vain. I still have my moments. Of course, those tracks run deep. But like so, it's them. It's her. It's Laura and Mabel. Those simple things, James. They've brought me home in a way that I didn't think is possible. That's not to say that I'm not going to go out there and show off. I don't know what I might do next. But something, something inside has shifted forever. Yeah, I love hopefully. it. Please, God. Please, God, indeed. And mm. you're off on your holly bobs tomorrow. No, I'm back. I'm oh, back. Okay. I've been on a honeymoon and even that, I couldn't, you know, me now, I, I, I am, even luxury bothers me. You should read David Foster Wallace re- reviewing a cruise ship. He says, the problem with luxury is it promises something that it can never deliver, satisfaction. So like, at least when you're not in luxury, you think, oh, it'd be nice, you know, perhaps if I had a massage and a lot of towels, I'd feel better. But if someone gives you a massage and a lot of towels and you're still unhappy, now what's the problem? And like, uh, so like on my uh, honeymoon, I ended up troubling people in the village. I was in a soup kitchen on day three. I was organising 
the workers of the hotel into a sort of a semi-union by day four. <laughs> Meetings with management and the owner by the last week. I'm an absolute pest to go on a honeymoon with. Well, uh, there you go. But wonder. you'll never know if you don't <laughs> offer me a ring, James. <laughs> I'll give you a handshake. Oh, that was lovely. It's always lovely to talk to you. I remember the first time. I do. I do remember that. Do you know what you did the very first time? I won't keep you much longer. I'm not in a rush anymore. Remember, I let go of it. You, you, I know, I know, but still, that's other people. You, 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 this is how I knew you were the real deal, because I used the word. I can't remember what it was. Badinage, maybe. And you didn't know what it meant, and you asked me what it meant. And then you used it that night on front row. Wow! And I thought, that's fucking class. I love that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same as you. I love words. I collect them. Yes, and, yes. And, and it's it's sincere. That's the difference. Trying to Because you thought that, that it expresses something that I didn't know. So you taught me badinage. I still I use think, it. I think I did. I think I'm going to take that. that to the bank. I am, definitely. That was brilliant. Thanks. Cheers, mate. So that's that's the first one in the bag. I'm joined by Dion Fanning, who is um, one of the top writers here at Joe, and and helped me out with the research for that interview. I was right, wasn't I? In that introduction I did at the beginning, when I said the problem with him is is actually possibly getting him to stop talking rather than start. He's a force of nature. He certainly is. And I think it explains an awful lot of the topics he's dealt with in, in the book and covered in the podcast that exploding energy that he has all the he time. He has to get it out, doesn't yeah. he? It's almost like a sort of biological necessity for him to be absolutely out there. And then I suppose that the hope is that that will make us like him. And absolutely committed to mm. whatever he's doing. And even in the course of the podcast, that sense of him engaging more and more with the conversation, with what you were talking about, to the point where it's like, actually, I don't have to go anymore. I know. I'm saying well, here. Because people won't realise that what happened was they were very strict about the time it had to end at. And then as we got stuck into it, he kind of realised that he didn't want to leave. And so <laughs> there was some poor person outside tearing their hair out of their head and apologising for him being late late for the next one. There's a lot there as well. He's very honest. You can be too honest almost with the dabbling in politics, with the, the stuff with Miliband, strong on masculinity. Fatherhood is going to be an interesting adventure for him. It seems to have, have, have affected him in ways that he wasn't expecting. Well, that, that is there is a beautiful passage in the book when he says that about, uh, I always knew I had this love in me. Yes. Um, and you can believe that too. And whatever uh, things he has done in his life, you do see this sort of sense of a guy, and it came across so strongly in the interview, the sense of this guy who's, who kind of wants to do the right thing, who feels that... He, he, everything he's doing is kind of from this desire to do the right thing, even though then it leads to excess and it leads again, you know, with, with the Milibands, with the, this becoming this central figure in an election, which he can't have imagined happening. Right. Uh, it's all driven from that same place. Yes, you're absolutely right. Do you like him more after reading the book and, and hearing the podcast? Yeah, or, I, or yes. No more. I think, yeah. I, I think again, the, the, the desire he has to, this belief he has in change and his capacity for change is, is fascinating and is is, is likable. Is really, what did you think? Did you like him? I, I got I got a text off from him afterwards. I haven't told you this, and, and and he said he's very kind. And then he said, I think we're allies. And fifty percent of me went yay because I think he's ace. And fifty percent of me ah. You've bollocks up that interview if he's gone away. <laughs> so next time, I don't know, maybe I'll be a bit tougher. <laughs> You're listening to Unfiltered with James O'Brien. Brought to you by Joe.